Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. As the costs of cancer care continue to rise in the United States, eyes are increasingly turning to payment reform. Research by the Northeast Business Group on Health found that in 2015, employers spent $125 million on cancer care. And since then, cancer therapy costs have increased substantially with greater use of immunotherapy and the introduction of chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapies that can easily cost half a million dollars for a single treatment. The federal government is taking the lead with the oncology care model, which will transition into oncology care first in 2022 after a one-year extension due to the coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic. But commercial payers are also testing payment reform models. I'm Laura Jost, Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care, and recently I spoke to participants from the Quality Cancer Care Alliance's Fall Leadership Summit. They weighed in on the payment reform space for cancer care. First up is Dr. Basit Chowdhury of Tuple Health. He discussed payment reform on the commercial side. On the commercial side, I think uh, it's an interesting landscape. It varies quite a bit regionally because I think we have national carriers who have, I think for the most part, pretty much all of them have some kind of initiative in cancer care. And there's much more variation regionally, particularly amongst uh, different state plans that different practices you know, are located within. Uh, I think broadly speaking, we're going to see increasing uh, kind of, uh, if not, not standardization, but I think we're gonna see a movement towards adopting what Medicare does as a kind of at least directional directional point for what commercial payers do. Uh, so for instance, to date, many of the commercial payment models in cancer care have not been risk adjusted. And I think, you know, we will see, because that's been a significant part of the Medicare models, we'll see things structurally like that get reorganized and realigned. Uh, I think there's been a number of, you know, initiatives that have moved in that way. I think the most more recent United model, for instance, I think has a number of structural overlaps with some of the things that I've done in, uh, on the Medicare side. So I think if you want to look at the future of commercial, I think learning from what's happening in Medicare is probably a, a safe bet to do that. One of the benefits of the pandemic delaying oncology care first is that there are now opportunities for CMS to tweak it based on ongoing feedback from practices that are still participating in the oncology care model. One of the things that Medicare talks about quite a bit in these uh, payment models, particularly through CMMI, is that they're learning models. And I think that's the, very much the right spirit. You know, these kinds of changes are so complicated, even for an entity as large as Medicare. There's no way to get it right in the beginning. So this whole tact of making things a learning approach, I think is really critical. And I think it's very, very important to really think from the payer perspective, really think carefully about what did work, what did not. And I know Medicare tries to do this and then really implement those changes. And I think one of the big things that we've seen, particularly for a model as complicated as OCM is, I think until you're actually living it and doing it directly, it's hard to know what it's like. So what we really hope is that feedback from the field is one of the drivers for change in OCF and the design. So I think taking a human-centered or user-centered design approach towards the problem would be something I'd very much recommend and hope that we see payers do more and more. In October, the Community Oncology Alliance 
released a report highlighting that there are more than 30 oncology-related alternative payment models available. How do practices decide which models to participate in? Amy Ellis of Northwest Medical Specialties explained. There's a lot of different APMs out there, and what we really try to do is look at the quality measures that that specific APM is requiring or that specific payer, um, and how it aligns with our current programs. We don't want to get into a situation where we have 15 different programs with 15 different quality measure um, rules and methodologies because there is a lot of administrative burden that takes place behind the scenes of all of these APMs, whether that be, you know, billing out the MEOS or tracking the patients, all of these different things. So what we really try to do is find out what's aligned with what we're already doing. And of course, there's some wiggle room. If there's something that's trying to introduce a new measure for us or um, maybe has a slightly different methodology, we're open to that. But uh, when you get into a, a space where you have these completely different models, that means you, you may need more staff to support those models. I think those are the, really the key things that we look at is, is really alignment between the models. Finally, Mike Fazio of Archway Health discussed how practices decide if they should go into oncology care first or into another alternative payment model. Well, you know, with, with um, especially with OCF, the big deciding factor comes once the pricing specs released and if CMS provides data ahead of time before making that decision. So that's something that they do in, in some of the other voluntary models like BPCI Advance and ACOs is you, you understand the contract and model that you're getting into, signing that contract with CMS and saying, um, I'm moving forward. So if, if risk is as big of a component in OCF as, as we think it will be, um, practices should really understand what they're getting into as far as risk and the pricing model, which is really out of their control. Um, what is in their control is understanding the cost side and can they move the needle on those costs of care? So drug costs, reducing hospitalizations and all the things that current OCM participants have learned. So, so the decision around OCF depends on um, is the model a good fit for a practice and to make that decision and look at your opportunities, you need data ahead of time. Something that CMS did not provide with OCM during the application phase in 2015, but is likely to release as part of OCF like they do in other, in other programs like BPCI Advanced. And so, uh, so the participation really depends on um, how transparent they are on the pricing model, the benchmarks that they'll use, and the risk exposure that, that practices will be expected to take on. Um, and that, that's all weighed against, and, and then um, if you're in OCM today, you have, a, you have a good sense of how much work OCM is to implement and, and run. Um, those that have been on the sidelines should be talking to their peers about the investment in time and resources for something like OCM, which OCF will, will certainly have. Um, and, and weighing that against some other programs is, is how big of a lift is it really? I mean, OCF, OCM and OCF are transformative models. So it, it, it affects 
um, a, a large portion or the majority of patients that come through the practices. And so it's not just you're dabbling on a side project. It's a, it's a movement. It's, it's really transforming your practice. And are you ready to do that or not is a big decision. Um, so it's, it's, is the pricing model and, and the program a good fit for your practice and for your patient population? And are you ready to make the investment in time and resources to take this on? Because it can't just be a side project. And so with the other APMs, it's the same evaluation. Is it, is what are the time and resources involved to run those programs? Um, and, and are they side projects or are they really um, affecting your entire practice? And so those are big considerations to make before entering any of these if they're voluntary. To learn more about oncology payment reform, see the show notes or visit AJMC.com. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.